Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to part part two of the Parental Development Podcast discussion of attachment styles in adults. Womp womp. (laughs) That's how I feel about it all the time. <laughs> You're anxiously attached? Womp womp. Although, yeah. did I send you that podcast where they talked called it something other than anxious? They called it ambivalent. Yes. Is that same? Obviously the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Which, which is the official name or is there? Well, I mean, they've changed over time. So like back when they originally created the types they used to call it like anxious ambivalent or anxious avoidant oh and then it's kind of like streamlined and then there's adult names so okay part of it depends on who you ask and when you know they're pulling research or Mm -hmm. literature from but most people now call it anxious but yeah that podcast they called it ambivalent but it's the same yeah it's the same thing oh it was exactly me, no matter what yeah. you want to call it. It was, <laughs> yeah, still every label me. you put on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. But anyway, we're back for the second half of our conversation. So thanks everybody for listening to last week's, and thanks for coming back to get the the tail end. Hopefully, yeah. I don't know how long winded you feel today. I mean, I never feel super long winded, but that doesn't seem to matter. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, we'll that's s- irrelevant. We'll see. <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> For my what in the week this week, it's kind of funny, but also illustrates some things. But we take the kids every year to get an ornament, you know, mm-hmm. as a lot of people do. We go to the old hoblob because they have <laughs> eight million. It, don't call it hoblob. Why? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> oh, Hobby Lobby. Because uh, they have... I mean, they have everything. Mm-hmm. They have so many ornaments. It's ridiculous. So we let all the kids get one, and then we get one as a family, which Lincoln was dead set on this ornament for the family this year. That's uh, a chicken nugget being dipped into a thing of sauce, and it says awesome sauce. <laughs> and he was like, Mom, we have to get this for our family. And I was like, okay. He goes, because you know, that's like our motto, awesome sauce. And I was like, What? <laughs> I don't think I've ever said awesome sauce in my life, but all right. So we got a chicken nugget hanging on our Christmas tree. He clearly thinks your family motto is awesome sauce. (laughs) What it really is, is that's one of the only things they'll eat is chicken nuggets. But Mm, fair. That's not even my one week. That was just funny. So we are going on a trip for Christmas. That's our new thing. We don't do presents anymore. We travel. And so this year we're going out of the country. We obviously had to get passports for everybody. We had to go through that whole rigmarole. And so Sawyer found a passport ornament mm-hmm. and was immediately, this is mine. He is so excited for this trip. So he found the passport ornament and was locked in. Okay, cool. So we're riding home with the passport ornament 
we of course have to unwrap it in the car so they can hang on to it while right, we're right. driving home. And I hear him in the back seat read you know, he's reading everything, and then he said, If you take the first P out <laughs> and the last P out, you have ass ort. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and then if you just take the first P out. You have ass port. <laughs> yep. The thing of like, where is this going? And the whole time thinking like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And he goes, you know, mom, ass. Like acid? <laughs> yep. Yep, buddy. Just like acid. <laughs> so it took a lot for me not to say like, you know, we don't we don't say that word and that's a bad word or that's don't a react. Word or don't whatever. react. And if y'all have been here for a minute, Sawyer is the one that once you tell him that, we'd be off to the races with that ass word. <laughs> so I like let it go and I was like, Where did he hear this? Like what is this? No, like acid. So it was again a reminder for me, and again, words are not hard for me to let go. But that we hear words with our adult brain, mm-hmm. and I heard ass, which I don't really think is that bad of a word, to be honest, <laughs> but wanted to, like, thought I needed to correct him. And he is playing around with the sounds, mm-hmm. and in his mind, it was just half of the word acid. Mm. So we hear it through our adult brains and then assign all this meaning to it, and he is playing around with sounds and words and reading like mm. he is for everything in his life right now because right. that's just what age he is developmentally so it was another just reminder of like yeah he still didn't know what ass means he just <laughs> thinks it's part of acid so cool not gonna um oh, create boy. a problem for myself that does not need to be does not need to be there so we let it go but i think we do that a lot of times right we create problems because of that very thing oh, yeah because of yeah what they say or how they say it or how they, you know, look at you or how they respond, like their nonverbal cues. Like we create problems when in all actuality, they're just sounding words out or yep. they're just trying to convey something to you that they, they're they not sure how to do that. They don't know how to say it in the way you clearly want them to. Like take a breath, take a breather. Yep. Yeah. And for all, especially those younger ages, below 10 probably so much of their world is just like trying stuff out whether Mm -hmm. that's sounds or behaviors or clothes or whatever it is like they're just trying to figure out what does this mean how does this relate to the rest of my world how does this relate to me as a person how do then I relate to the people around me so much of it is just appropriate normal exploration and which is really important yeah. for them. And we kind of stunt it or shut it down because we just are, we can only view the world through an adult lens, which is fine. But you can have some awareness of that. And yeah, I, I mean, that could have created a months long problem for us. <laughs> ass orts. And the, and the word ass. <laughs> but he played around with it. Now we're back to a passport. Now we're. We've come full circle and it is back to being a passport. (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about adult attachment. Oh, let's. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Hooray. 
because I think the part we left is what the hell are we supposed to do about this now? I realize like we maybe have these unhealthy patterns about it. Mm-hmm. And I know last time, I think I said, like, I'm not trying to say, like, I don't want any shame or guilt associated with, you know, these insecure types. And I actually did a presentation on attachment this week for work. And one of my therapists messaged me and just said, I have a hard time with this because I try to be strengths-based in my approach with people. And this feels not that. It feels very like negative. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of had an email exchange of just the importance of recognizing that these insecure attachments are really like the best illustration just of like resilience. Mm. I don't even really love that word. And getting your needs met or trying to figure out a way to get your needs met in the best way you had available to you. Why don't you like that word? Why don't I like resilience? Yeah. Because I think it's been propped up as though somehow all of the shit you've been through is like a badge of honor and like it almost like glorifies it. I just don't love it. Oh. It almost like justifies bad things happening to people like, oh, they're resilient. They'll be fine. Like, no, the shit shouldn't be happening. Well, I get that. If you see it, <laughs> we see it through very different lenses. I know. I know. Because when you say that, when like when you say that in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, we went through crap or we had a crappy scenario or things happened to all of us. But to me, like that's a, I think that's a beautiful thing that somehow as unhealthy as it is and, you know, we have to undo it, but we did figure out or we tried to figure out how to get our needs met. And so it is a, like a pretty powerful thing of just in the human brain, the human body, the emotion, like how we're created. We do figure it out, even though some of it is unhealthy and we have to undo it and learn the best way to accomplish what, I don't know, we clearly yeah, just no, see it through different lenses. I don't disagree with that. I think. But I know why you say that. Well, it's from being more in like the trauma world, yeah, right? Of like, yeah. it gets used particularly for childhood trauma. And they'll say mm-hmm. like, kids are so resilient. They'll be fine. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. That's not good enough. So it gets kind of touted. And I I'm, get that. Listen, yeah. It's semantics. I'm crazy about a lot of things, but it just kind of glorifies it and then makes it almost like, well, that other stuff, look, you're so resilient. You're so much better because that happened to you. Like, nope. It actually damaged me pretty significantly, and I've had to do a shit ton of work to get over it. And so mm-hmm. I'd rather not be resilient. I would rather just that not have happened. So Yeah, that's fair. That's my – I didn't mean to get on that soapbox today, but – Okay. But anyway, yes, it can be strengths-based in that this is how we have learned to adapt. Mm-hmm. And there is beauty in that, and there is strength in that. And so, again, I don't want it to be like – you did something wrong or there's something wrong with you or you're so damaged or anything like that. I hope people never hear us saying anything like that. I mean, it's just like anything else. Like this interaction style is likely no longer serving you in the same way. Yeah. Or it is serving you, but unhealthily. And so Mm -hmm. it's up to you whether or not you want to look at that and make changes on that and see any problems with that. If not, cool. If so, then we can talk about like what you do moving forward. So I wanted to say that again, because I know 
there can be a lot of shame around this kind of stuff. And that certainly Mm -hmm. is never our intention. Yeah. Especially because particularly as it relates to attachment, we didn't have a lot of choice. That's right. Like I didn't have any control Mm -hmm. over what happened to me when I was little. So Mm -hmm. yeah, just no shame. We're just going to talk about it as honestly as we can. Okay. So the, the trick about any kind of repairing attachment or healing attachment and hopefully over all these episodes we've done, it's clear that attachment is experientially created through relationships, right? And so Mm -hmm. it has to be experientially healed, right? So attachment is not something that can only be healed by reading a book Mm. or even going to therapy or talking about it. Like that can be part of healing. True attachment healing has to be done within relationships, Mm -hmm. which is really the real shitty part of it. Yeah. Because it would really be nice if I could just like read and think and talk and do all my work and then it would just be done because it's the relationships that trigger all the Mm -hmm. junk, but it's only within relationships that true healing can happen. Yeah. So just know that even if you are doing your work, and a lot of times that for us means, right, we're reading, we're listening to things, we're going to therapy, we're becoming more insightful, we're recognizing patterns, we're doing all those things. That's a key, important part of healing. And then you're going to be in close relationship with someone and all your attachment stuff is going to be triggered and you Mm -hmm. are going to very easily revert right back to Mm -hmm. the beginning. And it's the art of applying all of that like individual work that you've done in relationship that actually kind of moves the needle and gets some traction in this. Because, right, attachment is pre-verbal and unconscious, Mm -hmm. which are the hardest things to change because they're really hard to get to. Right. Because they're so deep, deep down. They're deep, deep down in your brain because of how the brain develops. And they're just deep, deep down in who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And they don't have language to them, which at least our society focuses so heavily on of we should just be able to talk about things and fix them. And that is just not how this works. I think I know what you mean when you say that they don't have language to them. But what do you mean when you say that? The period of time when attachment develops, which is like birth to three-ish, five maybe, Mm -hmm. the language center of your brain is not online. Right. So attachment is all pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I now have language for is kind of like the development and ramifications of it. It's actual development. I can't attach language to because language wasn't available at the time. Does that make sense? Say more. Before your language center is online, all memory is implicit. Right. I got that. Which means it has no language, right? It's Mm -hmm. stored in areas without language. So Mm -hmm. you cannot use language to get to it necessarily. Okay. So it's not attached to anything and that's what makes it unconscious. It happens outside of your conscious awareness because it is stored implicitly Mm -hmm. in your brain. Okay. 
So bring that to now in your adult body. Yeah. What does that mean for us as adults? It means you have to, you have to, in some ways, you have to bring it into explicit, right? You have to bring it into, and that's what we're doing now even. That's what you do in conversations with important relationships. That's what you would do in therapy is you can bring it into your awareness. So for many people, their attachment patterns still happen outside of their awareness, And they just think, I don't know why I act that way, or that's just who I am, or Mm -hmm. that person mistreated me, or that person is too clingy, or like we, we assign language Mm -hmm. to it, but still for many, many adults, their attachment is happening outside of their awareness because they've never thought about it. No one's ever talked to them about it. It just is. That's because it's still implicit. And so in kind of bringing it into your awareness, you are assigning language to it And almost dissecting it to try to then integrate it into who I am now. And I I can't go back and change that, right? I can't Mm -hmm. change it. But I can, because now my brain is so much more developed and I have so many more skills and abilities, I can now logically, consciously make changes on how I react and how I respond and how I interpret and how I approach situations, even though still that initial like snap reaction to things in many ways remains outside of my awareness. Is this making sense? Yes, I think so. So let let me recap. Let's just carry on with the example like that I gave last week, whereas like at work in a work setting... When I get feedback or correction or whatever, innately, I got no control over it. I feel not good enough, Yep. less than, stupid, fill in the blank with whatever I f- may feel in that moment. Yeah. And that I just feel that way because of my attachment style. So in the past, I would just, like we talked about, ramp up. I get loud. I get very defensive. Um, It's a fight or flight response. You're attacking me, who I am, and so I feel the need to defend myself. In the past, it just has been that, and it's created conflict with coworkers or in relationships, same thing. As I've started to do my own work and recognize that that is not a healthy pattern in relationships, that's not a healthy response, I'm able to then, okay, why do I feel that way? And even me just recapping that is me giving language to why I react that way. I feel right. that when someone corrects me or reprimands me or even gives me constructive criticism or feedback, I feel less than or yes. dumb or not heard. Yep. That is me bringing it into explicit, right? Yes. Yeah. So that then I'm able to say, why is that? And once I figure that out, what do I do with that? Because this is not serving. I think I sent you a Brene Brown quote this past week, but it's like, this is no longer serving me. In -hmm. the past, as a child, that response made me feel safe, met my need, whatever. As an adult, that response to that unconscious reaction is not serving me. Right. So that's the work, right? That's what you're talking about. Right. So the feeling of being 
misunderstood, less than not good enough mm-hmm. is the implicit. Right. right. That is the stuff that's happening outside of your awareness. Yes. And then in the past, prior to any of this work, right, what you would do is assign blame to the people. Mm-hmm. They attacked me. They mm-hmm. were aggressive. Mm-hmm. They didn't listen. They whatever, which is what keeps these things living. And again, for many, many people, because it's outside of your awareness, you have to give that to someone else. That's just human nature mm-hmm. to justify how you then respond. So even now, as you're, you know, apparently we're just doing our work on a podcast. As you're doing that, the implicit response will continue to come. That's right. You will continue to have those thoughts and feelings when someone corrects you, mm-hmm. questions you, whatever. Because it's implicit, because right. it is so deep, deep down. You will continue to have that thing happen. Mm-hmm. What's changing now is your ability to recognize it, attach language to it, accept responsibility for it, respond differently to it, mm-hmm. you know, however far along in your journey. And over time, that implicit response may lessen. It may become less and less and you can kind of get ahead of it more and more. That is the trick is even with work, the implicit response will continue to come. Right. And that's the part I think that has to be understood is that we're not, we cannot, I mean, over long periods of time maybe, but to make that completely go away is so, so hard because it is, it's implicit. Yeah. Yeah. It's pre-verbal and it's unconscious. Yeah. Okay. I'm tracking with you now. All right. Cool. So Dr. Bruce Perry talks a lot about, he does a lot of work and has a lot of books. He just has the most recent book with Oprah, What Happened to You. Have you ever read that? Mm-mm. It's so good. I highly recommend the audiobook because Oprah reads half of it. And, <laughs> you know, people our age, Oprah's voice is like a warm hug. <laughs> So he has other books, The Boy Who's Raised as a Dog. He has a treatment model, the neurosequential model, all these things. But he has come up with, and he is not the be-all, end-all. Like, there's lots of different approaches to this. But he talks about there's five R's. He just added a sixth one. That to do any kind of this healing work, whether it's attachment, trauma, really probably anything, it has to be relevant, Mm -hmm. so related to what you're doing, rhythmic. There's all kinds of research about, like, the rhythm and our nervous system and rhythmic in nature makes everything. If you think about Beck, I know you'll relate well to this, but for those of us that use like songs and stuff to remember things, Mm -hmm. even in school, or I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday, but put on like nineties hip hop. I know every single word (laughs) movie quotes, anything because there's rhythm you know anything that's rhythmic all those mnemonic devices you attach rhythm to it Mm -hmm. we all remember it better yeah so rhythmic repetitive which is what we talk about all the time that this is not like a one and done type thing that we're learning i mean we're changing our brain Mm -hmm. changing our brain pattern so repetitive relational we talked about that has to happen within a relation relationship rewarding Not like sticker chart rewarding, but like mutually rewarding, joyful, pleasant, that kind of rewarding. Mm -hmm. And then he added respectful, which I think is kind of implied with the rest of them, but he added it. And so who am I to (laughs) tell him he shouldn't have? 
So those are the kinds of the things when we, and we have talked about a lot of those things without even putting it into his context of information. So if you're interested in more specific information or insight into his work, I mean, it's, it's pretty easily accessible, but those are the kinds of things we talk, when we talk about like would be beneficial. So first couple steps is just acknowledging where you're at. Like we said, like we're trying to bring the implicit into explicit. We're just, the first step is you have to bring it into your awareness Mm -hmm. and just be careful because then you'll see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then it is like a real bummer Mm -hmm. because it just pops up all the time. Yeah. And then we're just going to practice some self-compassion because this work is hard. It is deep-seated. For many people, it is so, so painful Mm -hmm. to unpack this early childhood stuff. For many, many people, just feels unbearable. Mm -hmm. And so just be compassionate and kind to yourself and know that any movement forward is movement. And it just, you know, so many of these things, we make it sound so easy. And I just don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's incredibly hard. Yeah. And that is on a spectrum. All right. So we'll start with you, Becca. Anxious to secure. How are we going to do anxious to secure? And I'm not going to get into these too much because you have to apply all those five or six R's to this work Mm -hmm. in order for it to be. So that is way more than, I mean, and we're 30 minutes in. So way more than we're going to get to, but I'm just going to give you some ideas and y'all can go find the people to help you do that. Yep. So anxious to secure, get okay being alone and not necessarily alone physically, although sometimes, but alone, alone, because right, anxious attachment is this constant need for relationship, Mm -hmm. which doesn't sound bad, doesn't sound like anything that would need to be changed, but it becomes unhealthy at times. So getting okay with being alone, meditation can be a good thing to add in because it Brings your awareness to being alone. Mm -hmm. I recently heard something about, and this is me, about how even when you're alone, you try to like fill your environment. So like if, even if I'm alone, it's never quiet. I'm always listening to something, Mm -hmm. music or a book or a podcast. And yeah, so just even that of being alone, alone, Mm -hmm. And then attaching meditation to that, you can see how that would actually bring your awareness to the fact that you're alone, which mm-hmm. would be more triggering for some people. Mm-hmm. And the mantra for this is like, I will never beg someone to love me. Oh, God. <laughs> that that is just the, that's just like your rallying cry. I will never beg someone to love me. That's hard. So that's anxious to secure, which is not easy. Okay. Then there's me, avoidant to secure. This is about communicating when you're overwhelmed and speaking your emotional need, which I suck at, if I'm being <laughs> real honest. I, it's just easier to run away mm-hmm. and not have to say, I'm overwhelmed mm. and I feel smothered because that can hurt someone's feelings. I don't know why I feel like running away is less hurtful to people. Because it's not, but yeah. I don't want to say the words. Right. And then it's easier to blame them for being hurt as opposed to looking at myself. So anyway, that's where we're at. <laughs> Here? 
So that's really it is speaking that emotional need and building trust to develop and allow for closeness. Mm. Because, right, for avoidant, the closeness is what feels scary. For anxious, the aloneness or the inconsistency is what feels scary. I feel myself in both of those, if I'm being real honest, as I hear you say that and talk about that. Like, I feel myself in both anxious and avoidant. Yeah, I think that's probably typical. But there's no part of you that feels anxious. Like, when you talk about what you just did, like, get comfortable with being alone and I will never beg. You don't feel any of that. No. Hmm. No. I... It's probably going to, Ben probably don't want to hear this. I could be alone and be happy as a clam. <laughs> uh, no, aloneness is like my, I mean, I love being alone. Not like, I mean, over time, I, I yeah. still need connection. But no, I don't, no, I don't really relate as much to that. I can relate to more of like the people pleasing. Mm-hmm portion of anxious like that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff but I don't ramp up my attachment behaviors ever I just go down like I just go low I just feel like is it possible that I identify with that somewhat because I do feel unworthy I'm just I'm just thinking through that because I think Obviously, that's what I want, right? I want relationship. I want closeness or whatever. But when sometimes when that is offered to me, it makes me very uncomfortable because I don't feel like I deserve it. Right. So I feel like that's where the thing is. And so that's where I would run away yeah. from that is because I don't, deep down, I don't feel like I deserve that. Yeah. And then you might run away and then run back. Yeah. And run away and yeah. then run back. Because I don't know what I want. <laughs> That is more in line when they call it ambivalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, is the that makes more sense. Yeah, of the back and forthness mm-hmm. kind of stuff because it is this deep seated. Which again, if you think of like a lot of the anxious attachment comes from inconsistent responding from caregivers, mm-hmm. and so you're constantly trying to figure out: Am I supposed to ramp up or am I supposed to run away? Like, which one is it? Mm. which way am I supposed to respond in order to get what I need? I'm not really sure because in childhood I wasn't ever really sure. Whereas more avoidant just doesn't expect them to be there. And so Mm. there is, there's not the question of like, should I ramp up? That's never been fruitful Mm -hmm. in the past. And so that's not a question a lot of times for the avoidant, but the ambivalent or anxious is this like, it is inconsistent. So it's a little chaotic of like, which one am I supposed to do? Mm. I'm not sure. Let me try this. That didn't work. Let me try this. Oh, that's scary. Let me try this. Oh, that's scary too. That's shoot. And so it's this like trying to figure out how to get what you want and need. Well, you don't know. You never know. Right. I don't know. Right. Right. Which is why to this day, I don't know. Right. Well, and you are... Stepping into someone else's attachment pattern. Because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do? No, because they have, like, whoever you're interacting with and doing this dance with also has an attachment pattern. So 
if you're doing this with an anxious person, they might be okay with it. If you're doing this with an avoidant person, I can tell you what they're going to do. They're going to run away and say like, this chick's crazy. Mm. Right? Because that's the challenge of this is I can do all my own work. I still, if I have to fix this within relationships, I still have to try and like, you hope you're fixing it with someone that has a secure way of relating. Mm. Otherwise it's really hard to do because you're, your attachment style is interacting with that other person's attachment style. Well, the odds are not in our favor here, then. If that's, like, <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot of people. Like, I feel like a lot of us are just broken. Like, a lot of us are, I don't, I would be curious to see out of, a, like, a, a subset of people that were sampled, how many were secured. Did you tell that stat? No, but they've done that tons of times. And I, I'll have to come back to this, but I think... It's around like 60% are secure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think. That's high. I mean, great. That's yeah. great for all you people yeah. out there. Good on you. I think that's roughly, and they've done it multiple times. Yeah. 50 to 60%. I just looked it up. Because I feel like for me personally, I gravitate towards people who are not secure. Well, but I think the thing is, right, I... I have a secure attachment when I like look at all things I am securely attached. And so I think that's what gets missed is like, but then I have a bend. Mm -hmm. I have developed the ability to be securely attached. And then I still have a bend of what worked. Mm -hmm. And if any of you did that quiz we put on there of, you know, in the world in general, I tend to be secure. So I think people, it's just like anything else. You can kind of float in and out of these styles and be okay. And then when you're really, really stressed, it's not great. Okay. Okay. So that's anxious and avoidant and then disorganized, which remember, these are the ones that struggle the most because they were neglected or abused by their primary caregiver. And so the confusion that creates of when I'm hurt, I'm supposed to run to my caregiver for support comfort, connection, and that same source of support and connection is also an intense source of fear. Mm. And that just messes with you. It just wrecks your sense of safety and belonging and connection. And so it's tricky. It's hard. So just like everything else, needing to have some level of self-awareness and then learning to be vulnerable, learning how to handle conflict a little bit differently. The rupture and repair of relationships is super important for people with disorganized at attachment because of that idea that they're just not used to having people that are just comfort and safety and not also having them attached to fear. Mm. And so that's just hard. And they tend to think closeness is my enemy, mm. whereas avoidance might just think closeness is uncomfortable. This is like closeness is dangerous because the people I'm closest to are the ones that are going to hurt me the most. That's really sad. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. And again, through no fault of their own, I mean, we just have no control over it and no control over what our caregivers do, but... Well, I just think about that, just what you just said, that that recap of just makes me think of the foster system and oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. even adoptive parents that adopt out of the foster system and why, you know, I've had conversations with people that they adopt a child that is three through 10. Let's just give that yep. age. And they, they are struggling so hard because the harder they love or the more they show, try to show love to this child, the more the child acts out. Right. And, you know, these parents who are well-meaning and it's coming from a good place and can't, they can't figure out what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. These kids have a, have a disorganized attachment where the thing that loves them hurts them. Yep. And so the lashing out is I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Yeah. That's just what I think of. And it just, I feel like if, if you know that information as a, as a foster parent or an adoptive parent, how that can shape that relationship and how you work to heal that in that child. Yeah. Cause it's proportional, right? Yeah. Right. Again, this has always been my criticism of adoption and foster care and all is like, we just don't educate the right. parents enough. Yeah. yeah. And they, so many people still believe I'll just love them enough mm. that everything will be fine. And your love is dangerous. And so when you think I'll just ramp up my love, you are just ramping up fear at the same time mm. until we can get to those kids to help undo that association a little bit to know mm-hmm. like nobody love does not mean fear. Love does not mean pain. Love does not mean danger. That's just not what it means. But if you believe it does, I mean, of course you're going to panic and act out and run away and I mean, just do all kinds of things because you're just trying to get to safety. So yeah, I mean, it, that's absolutely the hardest one mm-hmm. is that disorganized to get to secure because there's just so much fear attached to those close relationships, which again, the healing has to come within those relationships. Right. And that makes it really, really tricky. Which I think is why it would be super important. I mean, in any, I'm speaking for myself, but in in a disorganized too, but like in any kind of healing process, your attachment has to come into this. Like, whether it's therapy or whatever, I think it has to be informed. It has to be, it has to be attachment informed because that's what's happening. If you're not even considering that part of it, I don't know how you can have that healing. Yep. Yep. For sure. Mm. Okay. We're going to leave it here. I know we kind of cruised through the end, but again, the actual how to do the work I think is so individual and we could talk for days and days. And I do think there's a large portion of us that having a third party or therapist or someone help us like work through some of this stuff can be really helpful. But regardless of that, the bringing it into your awareness and then trying to make conscious decisions of how to do it differently is super important. So I hope this was helpful and we will probably move on. I think (laughs) from adult attachment into next week. So we hope you join us then. We'll talk to you soon. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. 
And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.